to Joshua chapter 5. We're going to uh, speed through chapters 5 and 6 tonight so that we can stay on schedule for the remainder of our, our time in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, and tonight I'm going to be reading from the NIV. I like the way that it renders uh, the story tonight, so we're going to use it. Anyways, uh, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Are you ready? Are you there? Here we go. Joshua chapter 5. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had all crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. And let me stop long enough to say, there is a place in our walk with the Lord where our enemy will be so afraid of what God is about to do in us and through us that he will begin to tremble in his boots. It is so easy for us to get so focused on the circumstance for us to get so focused on the cancer or so focused on the heart disease or so focused on our unsaved loved ones that we allow all of these emotions to build up within us and keep us from being effective and to keep us from speaking faith like God wants us to speak. And what we have to realize is, and we have to, we have to shift our thinking to, to understand this, is that the enemy is afraid of people who are full of faith and who are walking in the direction and under the direction of God. The steps of a righteous man, a godly man, are ordered of the Lord. He delights in taking us where he wants us to go. And so we've got to get this, this spirit of confidence on us and we've got to begin speaking like God speaks and thinking like God thinks and, and seeing the, the, the result the way that God uh, wants us to see it because the enemy is shaking in his boots when we get full of faith. And, so, and that's really what we're saying. He said, hey, when, when God brought us across the Jordan on dry ground, it, it, wasn't, just, it wasn't just our knowledge. It wasn't just something that was made up in our mind. It was not just something that we, we kind of thought about it and said, well, yeah, that's, that's probably, no. This was a historical happening. It was recorded historically. It was spoken about in that moment and in that season. God began to move in such a way that the word began to spread. And it wasn't just spreading among the people of Israel, but it was spreading among the Amorite kings and the Canaanite kings. And, and, and they were beginning to say, man, if God is doing that for his people there, just imagine what he's going to do to us. They were shaking in their boots. And so, I, you know, it may be just one person here tonight put the fear away. Put it in the drawer and shut the drawer and say, I don't need your help anymore. I have the faith that comes from, uh, from God's promises in my life, and I'm going to walk in my faith. And you have to start talking that. And I, hey, I admit, I'm, I'm a man, I'm human, I have faults, and I can catch myself sometimes talking more about the problem than I am about the solution. 
But when I get in that state of mind, the best way for me to build my faith back up is beyond reading the Word of God and seeing what God has already done, but revisiting, like Doug said last week, those memorials in our lives that have been established by what God has done in the past. I start going back in my mind and thinking about when God... Uh, healed our little boy when he was an infant and Donna's rocking him in the rocking chair and praying for him and saying God heal and touch his body and took him to the doctor and said everything's okay. I remind myself of those times. I remember those times when we were hungry and had no food and God provided. I remember those times when I had not a drop of gasoline in my car, but I had a ministry assignment and appointed I needed to be at, and I had no money, and I had no credit card, so I couldn't put any on credit. So I laid my hands on the car and said, Lord, you know I've got to get there and I've got to get back. I need for you to help me do that. And the car cranked over and I drove all the way to my appointment, came all the way back, put it in my driveway and when I drove in the driveway it died completely out of gas now listen I'm telling you you start reminding yourself of all these things that God has done for you in the past and your faith will begin to rise and as your faith begins to rise the Amorite kings in your life are going to begin shaking in their boots you don't have to be intimidated by your circumstances but you can stand toe to toe and say it's not me it's not by might it's not by power but it is by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts. Here I am preaching already. I'm not even out of verse 1 yet. Verse 2. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gebeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. Now when the writer says this is why, we probably ought to pay attention to that, don't you think? This is why he did this. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people that were born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not been circumcised. And the Israelites had moved about in the desert for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. And they were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Now, I want to stop there just long enough to make a few points. I, I think it's pretty self-explanatory uh, that there were several uh, men in, in Israel who had not been circumcised because they had been born in the desert. And they had, not, they had not done that. They had not stayed true to the covenant of God. And they had not been circumcised. What struck me here today is that 
Joshua chapter 5 verse 1 talks about how, how scared the enemy is of Israel. They're shaking in their boots. It would seem to me, if I were a military strategist, that this would be the time to go after them. I mean, here we are. We've just crossed the river. Uh, we've just had this great victory. We just saw God at his very best. He rolled the water back. We walked through on dry land. Better than two million people like we la talked last week. Probably in excess of four million people if you count the, the women and the children. And then all the animals, they all walk through on dry land. And then God closes up the river and allows it to go back into its natural state. And now here they are. They've established the memorial. God's been good. He brought us through. The kings, their enemies, are shaking in their boots. If I were a military strategist, I would be saying, now is the time to go. And God says, nope. No, we got a piece of business we need to take care of here. I need for you to circumcise the men. Now, I, I don't know how, how that hits you. But number one, if I'm a grown man and having to go through that process, I'm a little ticked off right there. I mean, that's all it takes. God, God wants what? Uh, Joshua, you're an absolute idiot. That's what I think of you. I think you missed God on this one. No, no, we have got to restore the covenant with God. Because going forward, we have to have full access to the covenant promises to, of God. And we don't have that right now. God has blessed us and gotten us across the river based on a promise that he had made many years before to Abraham. But now we stand in a place where if we expect God to do among us what he desires to do, we have to be in covenant with him. And so the way that we have to do that is we have to stop everything. We have to shut everything down right now. And we have to get the covenant reestablished. That's why it was so important when I came to you as, our, as your pastor. That's the reason why it was so important for us to first deal with the issue of purity. And I know you, you've heard me talk about it until you're probably sick of hearing me talk about it. But God was very clear when he said purity, prayer, precepts, praise, and then people. It would make more sense to come into a church that was in the condition that this church was in to start focusing on people first because we needed people. We needed people who would help us. We needed assistance. We need, but God said, no, we're going at this a different way. We're going to establish Purity first. Because the main thing that had been destroyed in this, in this congregation was our reputation. It was our integrity. It was the issue of character. And before we could ever begin to grow again, and before we could ever begin to see the promises of God take place in our lives, we had to send a strong message to our community that we will reestablish the covenant of purity with God. Because without holiness, we can't even see God. Without purity, without holiness, without without integrity, without character, it's just a sham anyway. We're not going to see God in the first place. So we have to establish this place of purity. And that's exactly what's happening right here.
the men who died in the desert who had been circumcised were the covenant people. They were the ones who were walking in covenant with the sign of the circumcision. But when they died, the remaining men who were there who had been born in, in, in the desert, they were not living under the sign of the covenant. And so God said to Joshua, before you take one more square inch of ground, we're going to reestablish the covenant. And I want you to get these grown men together, and I want you to get flint knives. He didn't check them into Baptist East. They, didn't, they, they, they weren't able to take morphine before this process happened. They, weren't, they, they, they didn't have mentholatum, you know, to be able to use. I mean, this was primitive stuff. Get you some flint knives and call these adult men and tell them, guess what's getting ready to happen, guys? I mean, think about it. But he said, before we can go any further, this has to be done. And so he establishes and reestablishes the covenant. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, today, today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. The word Gilgal was used because in the Hebrew, it sounds like the word roll. And so he was saying, God has rolled this thing off of us, this reputation, this lack of integrity, this, this, you know, this thing that the Egyptians put on us, it's gone. You know, that, that's a good word for some of us because we've been affected sometimes by the abuse of a spouse or a loved one or we're abused when we go to work and we've got a, a, a superior or a supervisor that doesn't treat us properly and, and they come against us and we find ourselves in this carrying this heaviness around and this, this difficulty because of the circumstances that, that, that you're in. And, and that's what's happening here. God is saying this act of circumcision and this reestablishing of the covenant is not going to just reestablish the covenant, but it is going to be the very thing that rolls off this bondage that has been put on you by the Egyptians. From this day forward, because of your obedience to this command to be circumcised, because of that, I'm going to roll all of that off of you. I mean, have you ever had like a respiratory infection, an upper rep respiratory infection, and, and the weight, I mean, it's just you can feel it in your chest and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're gasping for breath and it just feels so heavy. And then you lay down in your bed and you think, oh, if I could just rest and if I could just sleep. And, and you lay down and your chest is rattling and you, and you don't feel good and you can't hardly breathe. And, and, and it just feels like it's just heavy on you. Have you ever, you ever had something like that? And then all of a sudden, the, the healing kicks in or the antibiotics kick in or, or God touches you in it and, and it rolls away and it's gone. And all of a sudden, you can, you can draw those nice, good, 
clean breaths and, and, and your nose is clear and your throat doesn't hurt anymore and that heaviness that was in your chest, it's all gone. That's what's being said here. That heaviness that you carried because of your reputation, that bondage that you were carrying around because of the Egyptians and what they did to you and the abuse that they put on you. Today, I'm going to roll all of that off of you and as you move forward from this place, you're not going to have to take that with you any longer because as of today the the reproach has been rolled off of you verse 10 and on the evening of the 14th day of the month while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho the Israelites celebrated the Passover if I were you I'd underline that in my scripture in my Bible because this is very important I'm going to tell you why in just a second The Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. Let's stop there for just a moment and go back to that statement. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Anybody want to take a guess why that's important? I mean, it may not be a guess. You may know. Okay, go with me. Go ahead, Kate. The Passover, if you'll remember, was instituted by by God as as a means of protection for the children of the Israelites. Uh, when, when, and, and so that the Passover represented that. But go with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And look particularly, we're going to look particularly at verse 48. Chapter 12, let's begin at verse 43. Are you there? Everybody there? Okay, here we go. Exodus 12, 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. In other words, if you're not an Israelite, you can't participate. Any slave you have bought may eat of it after you have circumcised him. After you've done what? Circumcised him. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. Why? Because they're uncircumcised. It must be eaten inside one house, take none of the meat outside of the house, and do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household, what? Circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat the Passover. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. So what he's saying here is it doesn't matter if they were born into the Israelite camp or into the Canaanite camp or the Amorite camp or wherever they came from. The, the qualifier was they had to be circumcised. 
So then we go back to Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10. It says, on the evening of the 14th day, they partook of the Passover. This is the first time that they had taken the Passover meal since they did it in Moses' day. And the reason was is because the males of Israel were not circumcised. And if they had, they would have brought the curse of God upon themselves for participating in something that was reserved only for those who had been circumcised. And so all of these, these young men, these adult men, they, have, they, they were born in the desert. So from the time of their birth until chapter 5 in Joshua, they had never experienced the Passover because they were not in covenant. They could not take the Passover meal. Because they had not been circumcised. But when Joshua circumcised them, they now are eligible to participate in the Passover meal. And so they're all eligible now. So they threw a big party. They said, look, man, we're all eligible to do something that we have never done in our lifetime because of our state of uncircumcision. But now that we're circumcised and now that we're in right standing with God, we are authorized to take the Passover meal. And that's exactly what they did. So that's interesting, isn't it? It's the first time many of them had ever experienced this wonderful thing that had been established by God. And so it, it, it's, it's neat. And then verse 11, the day after the Passover then, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. And they ate unleavened bread and they roasted grain. Verse 12, and the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Now you remember we talked about this a little bit last week. Where the majority of the time, most times when God does a miraculous thing. He does it for a period of time. And he does it with a purpose. But God works through natural processes. He, he just does. He has given us the tools to move through this life successfully even though we are walking in a natural state. We are, I, I walk in this body. This body can get tired. This body has to have sleep. This body needs food for fuel. This body needs certain things because I am in this world. But because I'm in, just because I'm in the world doesn't necessarily mean I'm of this world. But I have to live life out through this natural process. You remember when the, when the walls of the river went up and they walked through on dry land. When the last person got up out of that water, the scripture says the, the, the river came back and began to flow as it had been flowing before in its natural state. It returned to its natural state. Now, I thank God for miracles. I've already, I've already shown you and talked about two or three in my own life tonight. And there have been others. But I don't live every day a life of the miraculous. I live every day by the grace of God and according to his word and his promises and know that if I ever get myself into a situation where I need a miracle that I serve a God who is certainly able to provide 
exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think according to his grace that works in me. So the miraculous is certainly possible. It is certainly certainly a viable possibility. But we find ourselves also coming into seasons of life where the miraculous ends. And now we have to walk in the natural. And we have to do it according to the power of God that is in us. So the scripture says that the day after Passover, they ate from the land, from the produce of the land. They made unleavened bread, and they ate that, and they roasted grain. That, can, can you just imagine, let's just hold up just for a minute, and imagine what that food must have tasted like. I mean, they'd been eating manna for so long, every day. They'd had manna burgers, they'd had manna bread, they'd had every kind of manna that you could imagine, but it was still manna. Every day. And now, all of a sudden, they're able to eat of the produce of the land. They're able to eat the unleavened bread. They're able to eat a meal that they haven't eaten in a very long time. And some of them maybe never in their lifetime. Today, I, uh, Jovi and Harper were, they were over at the house. And we, you know, it's kind of supper time. What are we going to eat? You know, what do you want? And, of course, the girls always want something different. You know, I want this. I want that one. So we finally have to decide. And I'm sitting there thinking, and because I, you know, I do kind of halfway try to be careful what I eat, but I, I've just, for the last few days, I've had in my head that I'd love to have a pancake. I mean, I, I just, I would like to have a pancake, just one. I don't need a whole full stack. I really don't. I just need, I just want one pancake. And I'd like to have butter all over the top of it, just melting all over and going into, and I'd like to have syrup on top of it. And I'd like for everybody to just stand back out of my way and let me enjoy that pancake. And when it's all done, I'd like to eat my bacon crispy right after it. And I, I'm going to have to do it because it's in my, it's in my soul. I got to have me a pancake. Can you imagine how good this food must have tasted to them? And then all of a sudden they realize, you know, as much as we hated manna, we're never going to eat it again. Because not, God's not going to provide manna for us anymore from this day forward. So we're going to have to produce our own food. Well, how did they do that? I mean, they've been eating manna all this time. And now they're going to have to eat of the grain and the produce of the land. But they haven't planted any crops. You know where they got it? They took it away from their enemy. When they went into the enemy territory and it became theirs, the spoil became theirs. They started eating the Amorites' food. They started eating the Canaanites' food and daring them as they're inside shaking in their boots, daring them to come out and steal their pancake off of their plate. I dare you, big boy, to come out here and take my food. So for, for, for this whole period of time, they're eating something that their hands did not produce. They're eating something that they never put seed in the ground, but God put it there for them on their behalf. Isn't it great when we come into those seasons where God just blesses us abundantly? I mean, it doesn't come from any seed that we've sown because we didn't have any seed to sow. 
I mean, we didn't have any. We weren't in a place where we could do it. It just wasn't possible. But God somehow brings what we need into our life at the right moment, at the right time, and provides for every need that we have. And that's exactly what's going on here. They're eating someone else's food. Now, let's move forward. The fall of Jericho. Now, when Joseph was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Now, we've, we've heard this before, right? You've read this before, no problem. You know that Joshua said this. Did you ever notice what the man said? He said, neither. He said, I'm not for you or against you. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, then what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now picture if you can. Here you are. You've had you a good meal. You're ready to move forward. You're getting ready to go after Jericho. Uh, the men are healed up. They, they're ready to do battle. And all of a sudden Joshua looks out and he sees somebody that he does not recognize. And he approaches him. Joshua goes to him and he says, are you for us? Or are you against us? Now, it's interesting to me because it was the messenger of the Lord. In fact, many scholars believe that it was the Son of God himself manifested before Joshua. It's, it, it's called a Christophany. We see them in the Old Testament pretty frequently where, where Jesus comes in a tangible manner and stands before his people and says, I'm here. Now, there are others. They think, well, it's an angel of the Lord, more like along the lines of Gabriel or Michael. Uh, but most scholars believe that this, this was a, an, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ himself before Joshua. Now, if that's the case, if that's true, and even if it's not, even if it's Gabriel, even if it's Michael, it is a messenger from God. This is a holy thing that is happening. And Joshua says, are you for me or you are against me? You would think that he would say, I'm for you. I'm on your side. God sent me to stand with you. But that's not what he said. He said, neither. So what does he mean by this? Well, here, here's what we believe that he means. And I, I buy into this theory because as we go, Scripture always interprets Scripture. So what that means is, is that sometimes when you don't understand this Scripture, there will be Scripture in another place that will give you the key to help you understand the Scripture that you don't understand. Scripture always interprets Scripture. What he is saying here is, is that he is saying, I am here neither as an Israelite or a Canaanite, but I'm here. So what he is establishing here to Joshua is that I'm not from the nation of Israel. I'm not human. I'm not an Israelite like you, nor am I a Canaanite like them. I'm neither an Israelite nor a Canaanite. 
And so the message that he is sending to Joshua is, I'm not from an earthly source. I don't come from an earthly mother or father. I am here as the commander of the Lord's army. So I'm not Israelite. I'm not Canaanite. But I'm here as the commander of the army. So what he's really saying to him is this. Even though I'm not Israelite, even though I'm not Canaanite, I didn't come here to take sides. I came here to take over. I like that, don't you? That's what he's saying. I didn't come here to stand with the Israelites. I didn't come here to stand with the Canaanites. I came here to do what was necessary to fulfill my will in this season, in this time, in this place, right now. I'm going to fight this battle for you. And then we begin to see how he does that. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with the king and its fighting men. Let me stop there long enough to say, They have not done one thing yet to fight against the Canaanites. Not one thing. They, they, they haven't thrown a spear they haven't sung a song. They haven't taken one step around the walls. They have not done one thing. But God has said, I have delivered them into your hands. In other words, before you even take the first step, what you need to know is, is that the battle has already been won. It's already done. It's over. Yeah, you're going to have to walk through some steps. Yes, you're going to have to walk by faith. But what you need to know is just like I promised you on the other side of the river, every place your foot steps, I have already given it into your hand. It is already yours. I've already provided. All I need for you to do is walk out by faith the instructions that I'm going to give you. And the instructions that I'm going to give you are so absurd that no one will ever be able to say that Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. No one will ever be able to say that it was because of Joshua's intelligence this happened. Because Joshua could not think up the absurd plan that God gave him to walk out by faith. And when God does that, it is never to embarrass us. It is never to demean us. But it is to send the message to us and to the world around us that I am a God who is able to do all things and I can do it in the future because I see the end from the beginning. I know where I'm going. I'm knowing where you're going. I know how you're going to be obedient. It is yours. I have already given it into your hands. That's what he says. He said, I've already delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. He said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city once with all the armed men and do it for six days. And I want you to have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. 
So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken this to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets. The ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, Don't give out a war cry. And don't raise your voices and do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Now there again, let me just stop long enough to say, my adrenaline would have been flowing at such a high level at this point. I'm not sure I could have gone home and gone to bed. I, I, I often, I, you know, it's weird the way life goes. I, I used to like to go to bed a little earlier, and Donna now likes to go to bed earlier, and it's just, you know, I can't go to bed. I mean, it's like she'll, she, about 10 o'clock, she'll say, I think I'm going to go to bed. And I say, all right, I see you in the morning. I just, I can't go to bed. I, I got to, I don't know if it's my adrenaline or if it's because I'm an old man or if it's, I, I don't I think if she goes to bed that I can go ahead and have some more uh, peanut butter sandwiches or something. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just can't go to bed. But my adrenaline would have been flowing. I mean, here, I, I, man, I'm walking. There's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, the, the musicians, are, the priests are all garbed out, and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they, they're on the, the back, and they're in the front, and they're walking. They're not saying anything. They're just walking. They're just walking by faith. And those trumpeters, they're playing the trumpets and all that kind of stuff, and then God says, go home and take a nap. I ain't ready yet. Let's build this thing. Let's let it crescendo just a bit. And they went home and they spent the night there. And verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took on the, the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. See, they're making noise. They're just not talking. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord. And while the trumpets kept sounding... And so on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. For six days. They went about doing this. And then when they were finished, God said, okay, go home and take a nap. Go home and rest. Go back to the camp. But on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on the day they... They circled the city seven times. And the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. They haven't done anything but walk around. All they're doing is carrying the box with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and a few people are blowing a few trumpets. And Joshua says, This is it, boys. This is the time. Shout. Because the Lord has given you the city. 
Listen, when you've got something to shout about, you shout with all your might. I, I've often said this. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't like to try to work up a crowd. I, it's not on my agenda when you come in here on Sundays. I'm not thinking, how can I work them up? How can I work them into a lather? How can I get them sweating and spitting and stomping and screaming and running, running the tops of the pews? And how can I? Uh, that's not even on my agenda. I'm just, I'm just here to encourage you and to preach the word of the Lord. Now, let me tell you something. When you get the victory of the Lord in you and you recognize and realize what God has done for you and how he has blessed you and he has torn down the barriers in your life, no preacher is going to be able to get you to shut your mouth. You're going to have to stand up like Sammy did tonight and say, praise God for what he has done in my life. And you're not going to do it just at church. You're going to be walking down through the mall. And all of a sudden, it's going to hit you. The Lord has healed your body. The Lord has saved your child. The Lord has delivered them from the, the addictions and the bondages of their life. The Lord has paid that mortgage payment for you. The Lord has given you that thing that you needed. And you're going to be walking down the middle of the mall, walking by Starbucks bucks and say, give me a large latte because I'm about to shout my socks off. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. When we start acting like that, people are going to say, what in the world's wrong with you? And you know what the scripture says, do in a moment like that? To tell them, be ready to give account for the hope that is in you. Last night, I, I got to quit. You know the walls came down, right? You know they did. Okay. That's the rest of the chapter. Last night I was meeting with someone from the church and we went down to Buffalo Wild Wings and it was a good place to meet and whatever, good place where we could have some conversation and, and, and the waitress comes over. How can I help you tonight? And I said, well, you know, I think I'd like to have this. And she said, oh, she said, that looks so good. I said, well, do you recommend it? Have you had it? And she said, all I can do is look at it. She, she said, because... I'm allergic to it, she said, I guess. She said, I can't. She said, I've tried to eat uh, that, and, and I just, she said, I just can't. It makes me sick every time. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and, and the person I'm sitting with sitting right across, and I've, I've pretty much forgotten that they were over there, and I'm just talking to her, and I said, I said, are you a believer? And she said, what do you mean? I said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, yes, I do. I said, do you believe? that he took stripes on his back so that you could be healed? She said, well, I never really thought of it. What does that have to do with the food? And I said, if you're allergic to it, God can fix that for you. I said, do you believe that if I pray for you right now, that God will heal you and you'll be eating this hamburger before the night's over? I look over and the guy sitting next to me, his eyes are this big around. He's saying, what in the world are you doing? And she just kind of looked at me and I said, can I pray for you? And she said, I guess. My wife hates it when I do this kind of stuff. She really does. It's like, oh, let me go at another table. So I, I, I reached up. I laid my hands on that girl and I said, in the name of Jesus, she has declared publicly here before me and this, my, my friend 
that she is a believer in you, Jesus Christ. And one of the benefits of being a believer in Jesus Christ is that you took stripes on your back. And he's starting to think, you're getting a little loud, you know, and it's, it's okay. It's okay. By your stripes we are healed. And Lord, I am specifically asking you right now in this restaurant to remove her allergy to this food so that from this day forward she can eat it without any ill effects whatsoever. I said, in Jesus' name, amen. And she thanked me and I said, eat one tonight. And she said, what? I said, test the Lord. See how good he is. I said, eat one tonight. <laughs> she just looked at me like I'd lost my mind. <laughs> Here, here's what I'm trying to say. We have something that the world doesn't have. We, we are so blessed by, by the abundance of God. I mean, we, we've got to get in our spirit that even on our worst day, it's better than the day of somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. On our worst day, we've got more victory than this world has. On our worst day, our attitude should be better than anyone. On our worst day, we should be looking forward with faith to the next step that God is getting ready to give us. On our worst day, we know that God has done something special for us. And the scripture says, when people look at you and say, why are you so weird? What is wrong with you? What is different about you? How is it that you can go through all the things that you've gone through and yet there's a smile on your face and your shoulders are squared and you're, you're speaking by faith that good things are happening? How can this happen? The scripture says, when they ask, you, you be ready. Don't, don't, don't say, oh, well, I'm not sure. No, he said, you be ready to stand up and give, the, give an account for the hope that is in you. He's no respecter of persons. If God would do it for me, he'll do it for you. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word. Let us live it out by faith every day. Go with us. Lord, I pray a revival of praying for people will just break out on this congregation. I don't care if they're in the restaurant. I don't care where they are. Lord, help us to take our faith to the streets. This nation is going down the drains, and we have the power of God alive and in us that can set them free and give them eternal life in Christ Jesus. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We cannot be hid under a basket on a hill. We've got to give the testimony. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Give us the courage and the faith to do it for you and on your behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.